0: This, this, this is straight, straight, straight Out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Gabby Barr, and I'm here with Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, how are you today? Gabby,
0: doing great. Um, you, you reminded me a while ago that it is President's Day. So uh, we'll take a moment and reflect back on history today and how we wound up uh living this great life we get to live based on some of those uh some of those folks who, who made such a big dent for us early on. Um not so much as much in our in our latter years here, but uh we'll we'll I'm gonna go with the early presidents as being fond memories. But, um now really looking forward to today uh, we've got a guest on who, who I've been I guess talking with on and off for a, a, about a year or so. Uh, I've known of him a little bit longer through a third party, uh friend, a uh, mutual friend. So looking forward to talking about what this man has going on in his life and how it is, is affecting more lives and, um, doing some really cool stuff. So excited.
1: Awesome. Well, I am excited to welcome our guest today, James Terry. He is the Chief Visionary at Green Team Building Services. James, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, thank you.
0: Well, after all that buildup, Gabby, I I may have scared him, I don't know. So, James, (laughs) really really appreciate you joining us. I know you're at a industry event out in uh, Indianapolis and uh, checking out what's going on in, in your world. And um, that is how we stay abreast of what's happening. But uh, before we dive in too, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, how you become, how you became a visionary and what that means for you day to day and your folks, really?
2: Absolutely. No, I appreciate you guys taking the time. Um, in the most simple ways, you know, plumbing came to me at an early age. Uh, my dad was a residential plumber in Miami. And uh, I spent my summers working to go fish. So uh, we didn't get paid. We got paid by going out on the boat and uh, spent spent many a summers just under houses, rolling around, getting dirty, and, and learning the trade of plumbing. Um, fast forward to you know where we're at now, and you know we've kind of figured out what we don't want to do and figured out what we do want to do. And uh, commercial plumbing service is is our is our niche. Uh, And from that, we've built out other business units within our organization. And uh, we proudly serve the South Florida area, which has had a a major impact of of people over the last two years since COVID. And uh, we're just excited to grow into the future. Uh, As a visionary, I think my job is to help people understand uh, where we can go as an organization and how they can impact that growth and uh, how we can all do it together.
0: Well, I I appreciate that. And apparently you wore a do-rag when you were young too. Um uh, because I saw your post the other day about the do-rag, uh born to born to sweat, I believe was the hashtag. But you know, I, I think that um not to diminish what you do every day. I, I I know that plumbing is essential, stormwater uh management is essential, underground utilities what i really want to dig into is the the culture that you are creating and continue to create at your company because there's no doubt in my mind that you can run pipe and clean drains and do that with the best of them i really believe that because i follow you guys what i do find interesting is your take on the business and how you're growing it and and what that means for you uh, what it means for Green Team. Um, and and kind of what triggered you getting out of the, you know, uh, we talked a little bit before uh, we hit record, but we talked a little bit about how our industries can be kind of bifurcated in the new vision, old vision kind of thinking. Um, what what was the catalyst for you to to kind of put Green Team on the launch pad and hit go? You know, tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So 2009, uh, if I'm sure everybody remembers, things just went downhill very quickly. And I was working for a family owned plumbing company, really essentially desperation, right? Knowing that, no, knowing that I had no chance at getting a job at that point in time, kind of put me in a position to say, okay, it, it's time. Uh, and really what I did was I went home and Googled, is it a good idea to start a business during a recession? and the just abnormally massive amounts of yes, right? That's what I kept getting. Every article I read, every, every single thing I saw on the internet said, it is the best time to start a company, uh, mostly because the talent would be available, right? Other people were getting laid off. It kind of leveled the playing field. And um, that was the catalyst there. You know, obviously getting into healthcare, getting in a class A office and some of the other verticals kind of came over time. Um, But really working for my father, working in the, I don't want to call them the slums of Miami, but there are areas that you wouldn't want to work. Areas where people didn't necessarily have a proactive approach to their buildings or how they manage their buildings. And I was always that employee uh, that said, hey, why are we doing it this way and can we do it better and nine times out of ten the answer was just, hey, just just there's no reason to ask that question, you know, just stay in your lane kind of. And uh over time, really that just pointed me to the direction of I should be my own boss because if I have all these ideas, then why shouldn't I implement them in my own life and my own business? So that's kinda how the, the the process started.
0: Well, you know, I they they always say or you know, they quote unquote. You always, uh, what is it, that the mother of invention is necessity. Um, I think that's yes. a prime example, you know, of how you just laid that out. Um, it, it's just, um, I love the fact that you've been there. You know, you rolled around under the houses where you didn't want to be. And, and you said something a while ago that really triggered me. Uh, you said we figured out what we want to do and what we don't want to do. And I remember um, building my company, um, we we kind of defined that as a, who do we want to work for, you know, same, same concept. And we would target our customers to go call on. We didn't just hang a shingle and hope someone called on us. We knew what we were good at. We worked on those, you know, verticals within the HVAC industry and we concentrated on them. When you, when you have that intentionality, uh, things really tend to kind of transpire a little bit differently as opposed to just hanging a, a sign on the wall that says, hey, open for business and, and kind of seeing who walks through the door. Is that kind of some of that same mojo you felt like?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, and one of the things that we keep to this day is we only work for clients that value us as much as we value mm-hmm. them. And it's kind of like, no different than a personal relationship, right? If you're giving more value than you receive, it just doesn't feel balanced, right? It's like, hey, I'm bending over backwards on a daily basis to help you, uh, but you're not, you're not giving that back. And so the minute we kind of see or feel that we're not valued anymore, we start to question the relationship because at the end of the day, for us, it was always about um, scaling, but scaling organically and making sure that we're doing it with customers um, that want to grow with us, right? And so having customers that want to see you successful it's important right um, and and the other side of that is you know your business, your people, your resources at some point you're going to get limited on them, right whether it's vehicles, whether it's people, equipment, time. Um, and so when you when you focus all your energy on that core group of customers, you know what you're going to get back in return is like hey you're prioritizing the right people. Um, and obviously you take new customers when you can, but you have to make sure that the values align no different than hiring employees.
0: Yeah. It's good to get to that point because, you know, when you're early, you kind of feel like you have to kind of do whatever you can to to make revenue and support cash flow, what have you. But it's very rewarding when you start to be able to discern, okay, why am I doing this and what? How does this help my my people? How does this help us grow as a company? We know we're going to take value and deliver it to the customer because you know what you know and you know how to do that. the 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 special sauce is what you you said while ago. When you analyze, are we doing this with the right partner? Uh, you know that's when the rubber kind of starts meeting the road rather than just being a. Uh, you and I talked about it a little bit earlier, you're not a commodity. You're not a guy with a vacuum truck or you're not a guy with a plumber. You're a corporation that is trying to help the property. You're trying to help the people on the property, What whatever that mission is that you're currently working on, as opposed to just go unclog the drain. You know, it's just a different mentality. And I think you could say that from, you know, even even the medical field. I think an emergency room doctor, if she has somebody that continues to come in in crisis rather than somebody who makes her her primary physician, you start to question like, what, you know, what am I doing? Why do I keep throwing this person a lifesaver when they're not? Re, uh, um, What's the right word? Proactively,
2: proact- pro- proactively managing yeah. their health versus exactly. reactively
0: managing. So I, I think it's just a good spot to to be in mentally, even if you're not totally there physically or totally there financially. As a younger company, you should even start thinking that way early. Like, why am I doing this? And for whom am I doing it for? So.
2: That's- 100%. And, and, you know, going back to the the culture piece, You know, when you when you put your employees before you put um, your customers, what happens is like you'll see an email from a customer, whether they're being snarky or disrespectful or just talking down to somebody, you control the culture, right? Your ability to say, you know what, this is not the way I want to run my business. This is not, um, you know, my values are higher than that. It's like, a lot of people have that bully mentality as, as, you know, as leaders or or high ups in real estate and whether you tolerate that and allow people to talk down to your people, right. You're saying, Hey, I, I believe in you and I want to put value on you as an employee more than that customer. And that, that's going to drive culture through the roof because you're, you're then you're drawing that line in the sand saying that I'm not willing to allow someone else to disrespect you as an employee even if it's micromanaging them or whatever that might be, but once you start to do that, people recognize like, "Hey, you're putting people before profit. You're putting people before revenue," and that's a very rare case in in, in the blue collar industry, in my opinion, because most people are just chasing cash flow, um, and that becomes a problem. And people sense that. People see it.
0: Absolutely, they do. You know, the you hear this all the time. People people quit bosses. They don't quit jobs. And you know a lot of that stems from that lack of. Do, that I put it like this: Does that person have my back or not? I mean, it's pretty simple equation for me. If somebody that I'm working closely with or, or working with in general, and and there's an opportunity uh, to for them to to really validate if they have my back or not, and vice versa. Um, I just don't have time in my life for people who are are slippery in any way. You know, you're either on the team or you're not. And I think the quicker you, to, to your point, James, the quicker you can instill the words to your people that that's the way it is. But even more so when they are able to see it in action, you know, it's like, Okay, he, he wasn't blowing smoke. He really has our back. Um, or she has our back, or whomever you, I know your wife's involved with the business as well. Um, that goes so much further than just cheap talk and, and some slogan on a website. You know, what what where does where do you put your money? Do you put your money where your mouth is? And that's being able to say no to people and no to situations that aren't healthy for the company in any way, financially, emotionally, safety, whatever. You got you yeah, to no, stand up and say, call BS on it.
2: It's a, it's a humility thing. And unfortunately, humility is one of those things that you can't teach it in a classroom. You can try, right? How do you teach somebody to care, right? How do you teach somebody to look at every email and make sure that your people are being treated right? And that even in your middle management, that your middle management team is is teaching or or they're being respectful to the front line, you know, it's just so much and, and people lose sight of of caring. I mean, caring is like the basic principle of, of integrity, right? Caring, having humility, and genuinely caring. A lot of people can say they care, but do you genuinely care enough to go over and tap somebody in the shoulder and ask them how they're doing or give somebody two weeks PTO because they're going through some things, whether it's personal, you know, that caring and humility piece, I think is such a missing part of the formula for so many businesses. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that you either have it or you don't. It's very hard to learn. And that to me is it's DNA.
0: It, what, what is really fascinating to me though is the companies that have it and display it all do well. So, I mean, I say all the majority, you know, if you see a happy, healthy employee, typically you see a happy, healthy company. And then if you dig in and and learn a little bit about the company, you hear what you just told me, you know, Uh, Sally was having a rough time and they gave her eight days away where she could just get her head straight or body straight or whatever needed to get straight without having to worry about a job and coming in and performing um, at a subpar level because she wasn't feeling well, uh, physically, mentally, whatever. Those people look at that as like a godsend because you were able to take a burden away Yes, it's a financial burden don't i don't I don't want anybody to to not think that I don't understand finance as well i I work for a company right now and we have a really good understanding of finances. but at some point, you have to say it's okay we we're not going to worry about that two weeks of p t o as you said and just do the right thing um you know we we battled it here at home you know we we're, people that work with you at home and maybe the guy who does the yard work was in the hospital sick, you know, do you still go ahead and pay him his his weekly deal where he doesn't have to worry about that and coming back less than he had to be because he was stressed about money, you know, just those little nuances or is what, that's what makes culture. And I think you can have that in companies for sure. But I think you also have that in your circle of friends and, and acquaintances that you have, you know, what are you known for? Are you a giver or are you a taker? Um, I think that can be personal as well as a, as an entity.
2: hundred percent. Absolutely.
0: And you know, you, you don't necessarily think about these little things until they pop up and you need to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? Uh, if, 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 you know, somebody needs help what's my natural reaction is my natural reaction to go all in with all the help i can or is it like oh my god what am i going to do you know um financially and there was a friend of a friend of mine an electronic friend of mine i'll I'll say uh is is going through a little bit of a weird deal uh this guy's all about uh the the trades he's always making awareness of the trades we had a guy had been with him for eighteen years suddenly decided he was going to leave his company and and the eighteen year career guy kind of ran the shop while this other guy's doing his thing of bringing awareness for the trades so the the message was "I need help now because I've got to go back onto the shop floor and train my next guy, but I need help perpetuating the trades thing, and you don't really think about like those little moments of of having to choose, what do you do? And, um, you know, you as a business owner, you have those decisions to make every day. And where's my natural tendency go? Am I going toward the people or am I going toward the finances? And I think over and over from what I know personally and from what I've seen professionally, you guys falter on the good side of that. To me, the good side, meaning people first. And you demonstrate it, you know, and I have to think that that sets a good tone at the company and I'm not there living it, but it sure looks like that.
2: Yeah. I think uh, my decisions are solely based on, is this going to help me sleep at night? You know, I mean, because at the end of the day, it's the little things, it's always the little things. And there are statistics out there that say, you know, 65% of people um, they think or they treat their boss or their employer as, as their mentor, as their psychologist, as their, as their shoulder to cry on or lean on. And I think a lot of business owners don't take that into consideration because the culture that you set at your business, people are going to go home and feel good or bad based on what you've created. And the decisions that you make as a leader and as a business owner, they're impacting all these people's personal lives. And for me, you know, my wife and I always say, um, people always ask, how do you guys sleep at night? Right. You're so chaotic. You have three kids, you're building a business, you have all these things going on. And it's like, when you have integrity and humility and you always do the right thing, sleeping at night's not a problem. <laughs> it's not because you genuinely feel better about the decisions that you've made. And, uh, that's how, that's like my compass. If I know that the decision that I make, I'm not going to question down the road or I'm not going to regret. Um, then I know I did the right thing.
0: I think that's a pretty darn good, uh, compass to go by. Um, so Gabby, you, you're new to the workforce, um, relatively, and you work <coughs> for a company that I think has a lot of, of, good culture to it. Everybody has a culture, whether they just suck or not, it's the question. Uh, <laughs> really, you think about it, um it's either a toxic culture a neutral culture or a healthy culture or you know what we're all trying to build would be a fabulous culture um how how does you know you being new to the workplace getting to know ownership getting to know your your co-workers how do you as a young person coming into uh you know a modern day workplace how how does culture hit you like What are your keys? What do you look for? What do you listen out for as a newbie?
1: Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing, and James mentioned this a little bit um, when he was speaking, probably one of the biggest things is kind of mentorship. Me being new to the work world, I have, you know, I have my degree, I have a level of experience coming in from like internships and things like that. But at the end of the day, being in the corporate America world and working for a company and having a nine to five and things like that, all of that stuff is very new to me, especially when I was on the client side. um, There was just a lot of stuff that, you know, I was like, I don't know, like, how do I respond to this comment? Or how do I make this work um, for the client? And things like that. And so I think having, you know, a culture where there's a bunch of people, not even just your manager, but a bunch of people within your company who are willing to kind of jump in and say, hey, like, let me help you with that. I see that, like, you're struggling or I see that you have questions or whatever. Let me take some time out of my day to kind of help you because it is hard, especially when you're in kind of a corporate America business, everybody is running around with like chickens with their heads cut off all day because there's just so much work that has to get done. Um, So to have kind of a culture where people are kind of willing to take a minute and train the newbie and help her out is really positive for me just because I feel like one, it's really helped me grow. Um, and two, it's given me a lot of lessons. and kind of made me more comfortable in just my own position and my role within the company. And that confidence has really helped because I think also another thing is you come into the work world and you don't want to mess up. You know, you don't want to make a mistake that causes the company an issue. Um, You don't want to do anything wrong. And some people have less of an issue with that than I do. I'm a people pleaser all the way so for me i do not want to upset a single person ever and so for me that was kind of really hard when it came to kind of making decisions and saying certain things to people you know if a client had advice and they were asking for something and i had to be like oh hey like let's take this in a different direction because i think this will work better That was kind of really hard for me just because I didn't want to step on anyone's toes and I didn't want to kind of upset anyone. So I think having that level of mentorship to kind of help me out and help me with phrasing and help me with, hey, this is okay because you're not telling them no, you're helping them kind of grow in a better way than they would have with this initial idea that they had kind of thing that really grew my confidence in kind of making those decisions for myself and seeing, oh, hey, like they're doing this, but this actually might not be the best way to go about doing it. Let's kind of have a discussion and change that trajectory so that we can kind of benefit everyone a whole lot more. And so I think that was definitely the biggest. I'm sorry to
0: step on you. I thought you were done, but no, I I, no, I get that. I, and you know it's kind of if you think about what like James uh his industry there are tools to be used whether it be a pair of pliers or a pipe cutter or a vacuum truck your tools are a little bit all more digitally you know uh friendly because you're the keyboard's mostly what you use.
1: Yeah. So I
0: I think that, and I go back to Tom Peters, because I think Tom Peters is just a gift to humanity um, and we're going to miss him when he's gone. But, you know, he says soft skills are hard and hard skills are soft, meaning it's not the tools we use. We we can learn how to use a software program or we can learn how to run a vacuum truck or, you know, but what we, what we struggle with is humans. Is taking time to learn how to communicate from one plumber to another plumber. Let me show you how we're going to talk to this customer today. Listen to what I say and how I say it, and then we get back in the truck and we'll kind of critique that interaction, you know. And then for you, Gabby, it was like you said, you had learn learn how to tell the customer that you may have a better idea without sending them jumping off the damn deep end or whatever. Those are the things that matter. It's not the pipe cutter. It's not the uniform. It's not the software or the kind of computer, but it's that communication of how you take, and for me, it's tribal knowledge because I think tribal knowledge in any company is the most undervalued asset we have as as companies and and quite honestly as people uh, because, you know, I've been doing this industry now for over 40 years i got a whole lot of scar tissue that i can give away to where you guys don't have to do it as up-and-comers like let me save you some scabs on the knees just by telling you what what i screwed up and god knows there's plenty um it, but it—I've never had the right, really, work to tell anybody how to use a meter. You know, you show them how to use a meter; it's done. You you, you practice and you get repetitive and, and good at it. But I, I think that the the more that we can just take those those teaching moments and highlight them um, is is so valuable. You know, I've been I've been thinking about something, and I talked to one of our company presidents about it last week is you know we've got 48 operating companies um with many many i guess hundreds of years of experience at this point if not thousands we've got so much tribal knowledge that we got to figure out how to capture it and put it in a container because we have catalogs of standard operating procedures or what do you do if this happens and what do you do if that happens that's all stuff that's probably written or printed or somewhere in text form. But then we have 5,200 or so, 5,500 people now, with this whole noggin full of stuff like that's happened to them over the years that is about how to talk to the customer and tell them that they're crazy, that this their idea is loopy without making them jump off the deep end or taking time with a, a young apprentice plumber and showing them the proper way to tell the customer that their backflow preventer is faulty and they're going to be out of service, you know, until it's replaced or whatever. We're not capturing that tribal knowledge in enough detail at this rate. So that as people retire, they go to the beach with that knowledge. We're not, we're not capturing or we're not like sucking the knowledge out and capturing it before they go off into the wild blue yonder. Um, so my vision, y'all tell me if I'm crazy or not. No, no, just tell me it's a good idea or not. I know I'm crazy. If we can start to capture all this, either in voice using natural language processing or, uh, digital capturing, we could build a really cool chat GPT tool type tool to help our industry, our companies, our apprentices, our newbies to say, hey, I've got a customer who has a crappy idea. I've got a better idea, in my opinion. What's the best way that we've historically done that? And you can use real life examples instead of these vague generalities of how you can make that program better, how to make a marketing plan better. How, do, how have we solved this, this six inch water main lining problem that we couldn't shut the building down because of XYZ problem. How did we, how are some historical ways we've done that? And I know I'm rambling, but I just think there's so much there to capture. I got to figure that out.
2: So, um, just as a tool, something we use is um Facebook workplace and workplace is basically the business version of Facebook. So it's very simple for people to operate and it's got some pretty unique search tools. Uh, inside of it. But you basically, we use that as a communication platform uh, for different divisions within the company, whether it's a general, whether it's daily operations. And so what what Workplace gives us the ability to do is search anything. Obviously, it's not an artificial intelligence. It's nothing like ChatGPT, but it gives us a historical view of any problem that we've had. You can search anything and it'll bring up any work order that's relative to the word that you put in. Um, we initially used it as a communication platform, but but it truly has become like a glossary basically of historical data and jobs and information and communication um, throughout time. So just a tool. That is a
0: great tool. Um, and I know like any other database, you gotta start somewhere, you know, it's hard to be retroactive on your database. I just wish that um, and wish is not a strategy. I do know that. Um, I want to figure out how to start harvesting this data that people have that is not anywhere other than in their head. It, you know, and I thought about this, like, and this all came about years ago. I was talking to a friend of mine, Stephen Ray. He's been on the video, uh, on the podcast with us. He runs a nonprofit organization. And they do some really amazing work. They take stuff that's surplus for one industry and they find a home for it in another industry, mostly out of, out of the states and the humanitarian kind of way. One day I asked him, I said, how's your dad doing? And um, he said, well, he still hasn't retired. And I think, I think his dad was in the 70s at this point. And I'm like, really? I, I would have thought he would have retired by now. He said they they basically won't let him retire. They keep giving him this extraordinary amount of income to come back every year because he knows everything. And he doesn't have anybody under him as an understudy that he can pass a lot of this info to. This is a worldwide multi-billion dollar company that does this. And I'm thinking to myself, during the storytelling and then later when I was alone, if I were that company and they're again, big uh, paying somebody a hundred thousand dollars a year would not be like exorbitant for this person, for this company. I would hire a stenographer and I would put that stenographer with that man every freaking day for the next two, three, five years, whatever the guy could endure in every question that came up work-wise or situation that he weighed in on, I would start capturing all that because eventually the gentleman may pass away during his sleep or something and not be able to come back and earn the big dollar. But this was a a company that builds jet engines. I mean, it wouldn't be, you, you know, you wouldn't think that a lot of jet engine manufacturers would be you know, like subject to one seventy something year old dude walking around the plant. But that just shows me how non crazy I am that these little pockets of greatness are walking around in the human form that we gotta figure out how to how to tap. So I don't know. That's just a thought I'm throwing out the ether.
2: So almost almost instead of a corporate trainer, you need a corporate listener. Exactly.
0: Like some you know how in the courtroom they have the, the stenographer talking into the mask? That that's what I would do. Yeah, I'd be like, you know, that's your job. You listen to this cat and you record everything he says. Um that's not gonna solve the worldwide issue, obviously, of tribal knowledge retiring early, but at least it's an attempt to capture some of the data. But, all right, so Crumpton's rambled on a bit. Tell us, tell us where. I was curious about this. Where did the name Green Team come from and how did how did that come about? Because that's a cool name.
2: So, appreciate it. Um, back in 2009, I was 24 years old. And at the time, um, water conservation began to really take off and people were really focused on it. Um, I'm sure like you know, in your world, Everybody's excited about going green until you gotta pull the money out of your yep. wallet. Right. And so green for me, all things good were green, right? And I thought about a green light and I thought about money and I thought about all the things that are green that are good. And um really I, I didn't wanna name the company after myself because I had this bigger vision of where we could go and, and who we could be. And I thought to myself People don't necessarily always want to work for somebody that's got their last name on the side of the building. And so I thought that uh, really it was desperation. Like, I better come up with this name quick so I can start this business and get on with my life here because I was living in a friend's parents' house and it was very odd when you have to walk past someone who's giving you a free room and you know you're not paying them any rent. And uh, that was a very prideful moment and kind of forcefully just made the decision of, here we go, it's Green Team. Um, And then we had iterations of it. It started as Green Team Plumbing and then it was Green Team Plumbing and Backflow Service and then Green Team Service Corporation. And essentially then last year we rebranded to Green Team Building Services because that's kind of our core business is the building.
0: Very cool. Have you read McConaughey's book, Green Lights?
2: I haven't, but I'm writing it down. You know,
0: Matthew McConaughey is is a guy who a lot of people have a love or hate relationship with. You either kind of get him or you don't. I happen to get him because I think he's just cornballish enough and cool enough to be cool. Some weird combination of, of, of that. But his book, uh, I really got a lot out of it, not so much because of his stories, but because of his stories um and how some of those things overlaid with some of my stories. And for him, when he would hit these moments of I don't know or um moments of damn that doesn't feel good. There would all be always something that would pop that would in his head like, okay, green light, go. And uh, that when you said that, that really that really popped in my head. It's it's just a good fun read. So I don't think you're going to like crack the Coca-Cola formula after reading it, but it's just a a good little kind of a a brain candy thing to keep you going. But um, so I, I know what you mean about the iterations, because my company, our name kind of did that too. We started out as mechanical, then services, and then we just dropped it all. And we were just airtight after that, because we were in the business of figuring out how to say yes to the right people. And, you know, I mean, that kind of went, weird, like we would have um, people call and say, Hey, I need to build a a concrete block wall. And my vision was, okay, we don't do concrete block work, but I've got a confidant that does. So you start figuring out how to say yes, for the right reason, and not strictly for, for the financial opportunity of the moment. It was a financial opportunity for later because you're 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 enhancing the relationship by giving them one more ally one more resource and, and to me, that's what built our company was figuring out how to say yes to what most people would say no to doing um, in people as well as customers because you know like every other company you you have employees sometimes you're like damn i wish that i could have the person who i interviewed and not the person who showed up um as an employee but you got to work through all those little moments but uh, i think that was really helpful for us is identifying who um all right so i mentioned earlier james you're at the at the you called it the wet show W E T T, maybe um What, what, uh, and this is a question I like to ask myself because when I spend money to do what you're doing today, why do I go to trade and industry shows? What, what is there, um, that draws me to it like a moth to a flame and then be careful I don't burn my wings like Icarus.
2: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Um, for us, you know, and, and. My view is the same as yours on on how can we say yes to the right people? Um, and essentially, that's how I got here, because we were asked as a commercial plumbing contractor, hey, can you do storm drain cleaning? Hey, can you service these pieces of equipment in my building? And it was always no uh, until I figured out that I had to say yes in some scenarios because the relationship was deep and it was somebody that I had a really you know long-term um, goals with growing with. And eventually, we became stormwater contractors and and maintenance, and we bought our first vac truck and started to get into that business. And this industry, uh, this conference itself, is all about the technology. Uh, It's all about lining, pipelining, um, underground excavation, uh, vac trucks, jetters, anything that has to do with pipeline uh, cleaning inspections. And so for me and our growth, right, the next step for us is a CCTV truck, which is a half million dollar piece of equipment that has a robot that drives into your pipes and does inspections. And for us, you know, as a small family business, medium sized family business, you know, half million dollar investments are, are major, right? And so if we're going to make that kind of investment, um, I want to do as much research as possible on every single industry, every single kind of vendor. And essentially, what I've realized is, in this niche industry, there are companies, manufacturers, reps, and ownership groups um, all over the country. And if you, if you are just looking for someone who's an expert in your region, you're most likely not going to find them. But when you come here, I can find the leader of Texas, the leading manufacturer of these kinds of trucks in um, Louisiana or wherever these people are, you connect with them. And we brought people from our organization here, and I said to them last night, don't just come here to bet, to get educated, come here to meet the right people so that when you go home and two months later, when you're presented with an opportunity through a job or through whatever, you now have a business card and a resource that you can call and you can get that intel and information from that might save that job or, or make you look like a hero in front of a customer. And um, being resourceful is just, to me, it's, it's one of the most important things anybody can can have uh, as a value is your resourcefulness. And you can't be resourceful if you don't have resources, right? And so these are the kinds of events where you learn about the resources that you have and then meet the different people that are doing different things. And I obviously in, in your group, you know, when you have 50 plus companies that you can network with, right? You're getting ideas from all these people as a medium-sized business that doesn't have other businesses that I can look at this is the place where I can go and ask those questions about, Hey, what are you doing about fleet maintenance or fleet management, or how do you maintain this piece of equipment? And, um, it really, it, it's really, to me, that's where all the value is. The education is there, but it's the networking and the resources that you come home with that, that mean more.
0: Spot on, man. Um, I was at our big industry show two weeks ago, which is called, uh, AHR Ashray. Um, I think this was my 30th year of going. Um the the aspects of that show are 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 kind of trifold for me. I, I look at new stuff for sure. Um I look at new technology, refrigerant, all of that stuff that you should do if you're in an industry to stay current. But what matters and and, and you nailed it is the people side of that equation. I just pulled my phone up here to look at the number. I've got six thousand seven hundred and sixteen contacts in my phone. That's forty years worth of contacts. Um, I w- I would say you know, four thousand of those I know well. Um, so that I've got a network of people out there, and people know I have a network, and people call me and say I need, I, you know, I need a friend in in Portland, Oregon. I've got my mother's got a problem or my building's got a problem. But that's the benefit of these trade shows. Uh I think is building that network, um supporting the industry the right way, supporting your company the right way because to your point, if you're if you're really good in Broward County, you know, great. If you're really good in Florida, better. If you're really good in the Southeast, super. But if you've got a national touch, that you can enhance your company with man that's the that's where you want to be because now you've got you know sixty seven hundred and sixteen different people that may be able to add value to your company just by you asking a simple question, and you know that proves a couple of things that I'm really old, and that I've got a really old phone apparently, like it's rotary dial, so I have to I'm just kidding but Um, it's really important to build those relationships and to keep those relationships. And this is where I get to do it at the trade shows. And it's the same way when we have a company function, we always offer an educational uh, twist to our company gatherings. We either bring in a speaker, safety, finances, whatever we're training on, We, we do that well. But the genuine magic for me happens when two people that may sit one in Seattle, one in you know Savannah, are able to sit down and have a cup of coffee or a beer and talk about how they can get better together remotely, that's where the magic happens, and um, that's the people part of it. So, I dig what you're doing up there, man. I get it.
2: Absolutely, no. And I just left to come up to the room to have this. I just left a leadership, you know, educational series. And it's it's a woman who we're actually in the process of hiring to do our corporate leadership training and where else would you want to go before you make a major investment then you know the little expense that that is flying to Indy, you know paying the entry fee but now i get to make sure that the person that i'm hiring is the right yeah. person i get to test the waters before she comes into our organization and uh, she passed with flying colors today. So,
0: well, I can't wait to hear who it is and and uh, watch what she can do for your company because you you guys to me I love to watch it. You and I met through one of our companies, uh, Kearney and Associates down in Florida. Uh, Pat Kearney, uh, Dan, the whole gang down there all speak so highly of you. Um, that I started hearing about this green team. I'm like, man, i got to find out some more about the old green guys down there and see what's cooking because, you know, when I left Florida, the only thing green that was in my head were those damn iguanas in my front yard.
2: Yeah, they're a nuisance. Um, <laughs> there's so much history with Kearney. Uh, it's it's crazy. But, it, it, you know, Pat was somebody who just gave me a chance at the right time. Um I think it also goes back to work ethic and I was actually receiving an award for perfect attendance and that's what caught his attention because he said to himself oh, here's a young guy coming up in the trade who shows up to school every day along with showing up to work and that's kind of where our relationship started and You're talking
0: about the appren- um, but even apprenticeship appren- school apprenticeship uh-huh.
2: program Yes um the even funnier part is you know, Dan now being the president of, of Kearney, um, me and Dan were together at our lowest moment. You know, in 2009, um, he was going through some things with a divorce and and hitting some low points. I was obviously unemployed, no house, no, you know, really no resources. My My life was out of a black 50 gallon garbage bag. And we both kind of looked at each other and said, hey, let's start over together. And we had this vision for each other of success. And uh, later on, as Dan would just be a, a journeyman for Kearney, um, I happened to be in the conference room with Pat one day. And, you know, they were struggling to find some leadership as a superintendent. And I kind of just looked over and I said, why don't you try Dan? And, he, you know, Pat kind of looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, you know, all I hear are, you know, these things about Danny's, he doesn't have a personality. And I said, you should try just dig a little bit. And I, and I think he'll be the right guy. And, uh, fast forward, you know, eight years and now he's the president of the company. And I'm, I, I tell Pat, you know, we, we both owe each other, right. Cause Pat helped me start my business, but I also gave him that resource. And it's really just another set of eyes, someone to say, Hey, give this person a shot. And, um, so to see all that happen and, and, you know, Danny and I now sit on some boards together and, you know it's just amazing to watch that transformation happen uh when somebody hits a low point to making it and being successful with their life with their family with with their health and all of that
0: so if I were to queue up Garth Brooks friends in low places y'all could smile together
2: Absolutely yeah there was there was some low times there but um you know we both we both persevered and made things well, you're
0: happen We're both doing some some really good stuff and James we we're getting close to our witching hour but this, you know, the conversations that um, that stem from these opportunities that are out there, and somebody saying yes, and somebody out of necessity saying green team, and you know, all these things that happen to us as humans at these times that you don't know at the time, but it's a big moment. And now you can look back to to '09 or whenever it is that you saw that last green light and knew it was time um just so so rewarding to hear and and more so for your customers your employees that they get to witness and be part of what you guys are building and i'm just i'm super proud for you man i love being on the sidelines cheerleading uh, all we can for you but just what y'all are doing is really good it's good for the industry but more so it's just good for for entrepreneurs to see, you don't have to be an ass, you don't have to be, you know, this tight fisted control freak, you can just be a good person, give people the ability to to let their goodness show through, and let people prosper. And, and that to me, when I look at your company, that's what you guys are doing. So a lot to be proud for, uh, for you and of you and just you're doing really good stuff down there.
2: I appreciate the support and uh it's always nice to have those people cheering for you on the sidelines too
0: well like me abby uh gabby see i did it again i got a bunch of abby's <laughs> and Gabbies in my life so um it's it's gabby's my cheerleader so i get to i get to wake up every morning knowing she's pulling for me so i'm gonna go with that <laughs> absolutely i'm gonna go with that so well <laughs> james thank you for uh for taking time with us today um it's It's just you know when when we talk in these short bursts, it's always good, but it's really great to sit down and just have a little bit deeper conversation. I'm coming back down there I got a doctor's appointment soon at the back doctor, so I'm going to call you and try to buy you a cup of coffee or or whatever and uh where we can sit down and have some time together. but thank you for taking time today. Uh best of luck in Envy. I hope you spend that half million dollars well. I hope you get that lady who is going to rock the world on your team and, and everybody's smiling. So just uh really appreciate the time.
2: Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and and thanks for what you do for the industry well, as well.
0: Certainly my pleasure. All right, Gabster. You're you're up. What do you get <laughs> to do now?
1: All right. Well, James, Greg, thank you both. It was great talking to both of you. James, it was great meeting you. Everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. You can find this episode on Apple or Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to check out gregcrumpton.com for all of your Greg Crumpton content james did you have any kind of website or anything like that that you wanted to go ahead and plug in uh
2: get green that's our website we're not we're not too fancy on the web we uh we just show up in the field
0: man
1: all right perfect. love that love that. <laughs> all right well everyone we will see you next time
2: take care thank james, you james
0: really appreciate it man hope you have a good show and uh